Hello, welcome to Valley Talks. My name is Sylvia Gorajek and today right here at Runway Incubator, I'm meeting Christy Kim, co-founder and CEO of Dear Miss J, an e-commerce store that sells in-house manufactured and designed jewelry. In order to start her own business, Christy had to quit her convenient job at a VC fund. Also, because she's a female founder of a jewelry startup, she struggled a lot in looking for her technical co-founders. Hello, Christy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, nice to meet you. Uh, Dear Miss J is an e-commerce store and you are actually selling also in about like 40 other retail stores, right? Oh, yeah. So we are selling online and doing wholesale business. So in the US, we have like 40 to 50 wholesale partners. And who produces and designs the jewelry? So our team members are all based in San Francisco, but my mom, who was the very first designer at Dear Miss J, she is based in Seoul, South Korea. So the final work is most of most of it is done in South Korea. So it started all from your mom. When I was in finance, like so my very first job out of college was in investment banking. So I traveled a lot for work. So whenever I went to Korea or China for work, I would visit my, my parents. And then she gave me so many free stuff, right? Outfit and jewelry. So I brought um, some of pieces um, back to San Francisco. First, it was just for fun. I gave it for free. And wow, yeah. The so beginning, she had a lot of influence on me. Where does the Dear Miss J actually name come from? My mom's last name is J and jewelry is also like start with J. And I, so when I first thought about starting a, a jewelry brand, Dear Miss J, I thought that, okay, I don't want to be a jewelry brand that kind of like it's appealing, like appealing to, to women and saying, oh, it's going to make you look cute or pretty or sexy that mm -hmm. was not the brand that i wanted to build mm -hmm. so i was thinking oh i want to build a brand that's um targeting people like me who are like working like mostly career women and want to look polished it's not about looking polished like, yeah <laughs> it's like right? not about looking like too glamorous uh, glamorous or like sexy or like like that it's more like oh you can wear it at work and also you can wear it when you go out with your friends so that's why i put I came up with the name Dear Miss J. We um, design many like pearl pieces. Mm -hmm. so, so this is pearls what you're having on you, right? Yeah. Um, so and this, what I'm having here. Yeah. So it's uh, handmade with freshwater pearls. So like there are different types of pearls. And in the US, um, when if you go to Banana Republic or J Crew, you would see pearl necklace like hundred fifty dollars or two hundred dollars, mm -hmm. but they are actually not real pearls. They're like plastic pearls. But most of people don't like but, know much about jewelry. Don't really know the difference. But do they say that this is plastic pearls, and do they kind of like not admit this too much? So they just say oh fashion like pearl jewelry, like pearl necklace, mm. but it doesn't really show like what it's made of, right? Okay. So for me, so when I was in bank, like investment banking, I would shop at these stores, like business casual, um, like outfit stores, and then I go there and I'm like, how come just like plastic, uh, fake pearl necklace can cost? Could you like, tell just by looking at it? Yeah, yeah, hundred fifty dollars and two hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. Because my mom is a designer, I like went to some of the the pearl auctions. Mm -hmm. So now I'm pretty good at like telling whether it's a plastic or not, or whether it's really high quality ones. So I can offer like 10 times or 100 times better quality items with a similar price point between $100 and $200. So 
um, that's why that's why I thought that oh maybe like focusing on pearl items would be a really good start for for us because mm-hmm. we already I already mm-hmm. have connections in the industry that I can source pearls, good quality pearls with really a good price. How about educating the market? Did mm-hmm. you find that you know people cannot really because they cannot really tell the difference? Do they really appreciate your um, jewelry, or is it rather hard to, you know, to tell them this is really worth much more? That's a really good question because um, people in their twenties, um, like for example, like in still in school and don't know much about like ha- like fine jewelry, they 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 will come to our site and then like, oh, this is expensive. How come uh, this necklace is like two hundred dollars or something like mm-hmm. that? And so in the beginning, yeah, it's tough because <clears throat> we have to let them know that, oh, we only um, use like real pearls, genuine like freshwater pearls or genuine South Sea pearls. We only use a like, high quality item. So they have to know that. So that's yeah. why now we are really, really focused on building a good brand and good brand image. So for example, when you um, get something from Tiffany, you are not worried that this is fake, right? You trust that mm-hmm. Tiffany only like produce good quality items. So for us as a startup, it's really tough, right? Because we want our customers to spend money and then feel like kind of really confident that this Mm -hmm. is really good stuff. I don't have to worry that I'm overcharged, right? So building that trust, it's tough, but like we are working hard on building a brand, so make them feel comfortable. But can we we talk a little more in detail? I want to ask you, how are you actually building this trust? What are you doing? Like Mm -hmm. totally specific things like is this your messaging on your website is this any extra um, things that you are adding to the package that you're selling or is it anything else yeah um, so when I when we first started we um, we obviously we described on the website right mm-hmm. about us page yeah but actually not many people really go no. and read the details that's why I'm asking right yes. <laughs> so I so so um, so I I like, thought that, okay, what would be the best way? And then we started doing some pop-up events, so offline events, like we would invite our friends or our clients to come and actually see the item. So when they see it, like they can tell. And then when our team members interact with them, we like say like what are um, their materials and where they're from. So like, so they, like we educate them. We also um, decide to make a certificate so whenever someone orders something from DMSJ, when we ship the item, we put the certificate in it. If you buy this and no, and then find out like something goes wrong or you find out that this is not real, you can just like return it, right? So we are like trying to make them like totally, totally confident that this is like good quality item. Right now you're selling it, you know, across America and on your um, online store. And I want to talk to you about how you got to this point for sure. But before we dig deep into that, Mm -hmm. um, I want to go back to the previous years and even, you know, a little more earlier on. So Mm -hmm. you moved to, uh, to America when you were 11 years old. So when I first came here when I was 11, but my parents, uh, they both were working in Korea and my dad had a business that required him a lot of traveling. So he traveled a lot in like China and like Southeast Asia. So they couldn't like relocate to the US. So first we came as a family to visit our, our extended family. And then later I stayed with my extended family here in the US. They had like a 
like a big farm and like three cats and the cows and like horses. So I was really happy that I could like play outside because in Korea it's like different environment that very like strict and then even at 11 you feel a lot of pressure that you have to study really hard. So yeah, at the beginning I really I think enjoyed it and then embraced like everything. My very first job out of college was at a boutique investment bank here in financial district San Francisco. Um, so yeah, so I after after like finishing school, I moved here and I started working like long hours. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. But how did you end up at a VC fund? Oh, after after banking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so after investment banking, I thought about what I wanted to do and um, so when I was in banking because it was a small like boutique firm, um, I got to meet um, my clients directly. For example, if you're at like mm. like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley as a analyst like out of college, it's going to be it might be difficult for you to actually meet your clients or like yeah. Like, like talk to them, like right. be in the meeting. It's like pretty rare, but because I was relatively at a, I was at a relatively small like firm, so I actually met like most of my um, like clients who are there like in forties and fifties, like running the company and try to sell the company. So I saw like kind of I learned a lot just interacting with them. I saw how they um, started their business mm -hmm. and how I they got to the point that they're thinking about selling the business because I, I covered uh, M&A, Merger and Acquisition. So I thought that, oh, like maybe I can be something like someone like them. Like uh -huh. I can um, someday like start a, start a company or be in the side that helping other people start the company. So I thought that I want to join a BC fund. But um, but before joining to the BC, I, I worked at a um, mobile gaming company. But the company was incubated at a BC firm in Sandy mm. Road, Menlo Park. So I worked there and I saw how investors helping the portfolio companies and how they work together. It's like a win-win yeah. situation, right? So, and after that, I joined the fund in San Francisco. But I was there very like shortly because while I was there, I felt like, oh, I'm ready to start my own company. So I left. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. where you got the inspiration to start your own company because you saw other people doing this and you were actually helping them, assisting them in the process of selling their companies, right? Yeah. Their acquisition and and uh, you thought that you want to do this as well. And did you have any idea at that moment that your business may be connected to jewelry? Maybe connected to jewelry. Um, I thought about um, dip, like different like ideas, but eventually I realized that, oh, I should do something that I can do better than other people, mm -hmm. that I, the thing, something that I have like unfair advantage. Right, so that's why I thought that oh, like I should, I can do something in a fashion and jewelry. That's how I guess, how I got started. Okay, so you decided to go for your own store, and what were your next steps? What, where did you think that you need to start, and what did you do at that point? Oh, so first of all, I had to find technical co-founders because I. I was political science and business major, so I never yeah. took any like computer science classes. Okay, you mentioned that you started with a website. Uh, mm -hmm. So for that website already, you needed a co-founder, or could you set up the website yourself with some templates? Maybe how 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 did it look like? So when I was in banking um, around the Christmas time, I 
I hired someone in India and like paid him like five thousand dollars and build a website. But oh, that Jesus. was when I was still working in my job in finance. It was more like side gig to、mm-hmm. try out to see oh how it's going to be like to start Dear Miss J full time. So I was just playing with the idea. So I first started with outsourcing the website and then building it. And I realized that this is not what I want. It was like it was real terrible because because.、Yeah. Even though he, so even though like, I guess he's a good developer. He didn't really understand the aesthetic, right? How the e-commerce website should、mm-hmm. look. So it didn't go well. Did you end up paying that person those five thousand dollars? Yeah, he. I had to pay. <laughs> right. It was a contract. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. I've been there too. We hired some、um, developers to build our app,、uh-huh. and that was also outsourcing, and that was just dragging and dragging and dragging time. And yeah, and we also ended up paying them not full, but yeah, it was also like something that probably most of us have to go through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then you, so then you knew that you need co-founders. Did、yeah. you feel like one would be enough? How how、um, how did you approach this? So I thought that I need at least one developer、uh, that I can trust. So I started talking to developers in San Francisco. I. At that time, I thought that building an e-commerce site. I didn't really think that like male developers would be interested in joining as a co-founder. So I was willing to pay them and willing to、mm-hmm. like, yeah, we'll find a good one. Yeah, and and then like pay them. But they're gonna they're gonna be local, so we communicate very well.、Mm-hmm. I、um, convinced my old、um, friends who went to Berkeley and studied computer science to join the team, and then he asked his. Um, like old, like graduate schools to help him too. So ended up having like four people in our co-founding team.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that lasted a long time, right? Yeah, Looking yeah. For that. <laughs> yeah. And in one of the articles, I read that you said, I will quote this:、um, I dated each one very carefully and married all of them. It just so happened that way, and it has been absolutely amazing. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by dating your co-founders? Oh, so investors usually、uh, investors like say、um, when like they invest, they decide to invest in a company. They think it as a marriage, right? So,、mm-hmm. so I thought about like as a non-technical co-founder to a、uh, founder to finding a co-founder members. Whether it's good or bad, you're stuck together, right? <laughs> And、yes. then you will like work really, really, really hard to make it work, right? So if you have a contractor, if things don't work out well, you can pay him, or something goes well. Something is not going well. He can just call it a kid and not feeling bad about it.、Yeah. But when you are Like connected as、mm-hmm. co-founder relationships, like、mm-hmm. marriage, like you will feel really guilty about even quitting it, and then you will do everything to not to make sure that that's not going to happen. Since it looks like you made the right choices with your founders, and I know it took you a while to to you know to really partner with the best people、um, uh, for you,、uh, what would be your one advice for other founders that are not technical and they are looking for technical co-founders? Yeah. Uh, my very first advice would be be patient. So it took me、um, almost like two years. Even、mm-hmm. though, like from the very moment that I quit my job and then starting the MSJ, it was like only two months or three months. But even when I was investment banking, had my full time job, I was always、um, 
going to like set up like events or developer mm-hmm. meetings and, and talk to developers not because like oh someday they're gonna be my co-founder it's more like oh I want to understand like what they do and then what they what what they're interested in right and then and then talking to them and getting to know them and when I was 100% ready to commit to DMSJ, it was easy for me to reach mm-hmm. out to developers and ask their advice and then ask them to introduce me to their friends who are interested in e-commerce. So people who are starting their companies right now and trying to find co-founders, if, if you are too desperate, you might end up with the wrong person. <laughs> so mm-hmm. be patient and then, try, and then really take some time to get to know them before you guys like decide to be co-founders yeah and i feel like also what's what's also important is to when you when you start talking about the business and agreeing on things it's also good to um in advance plan some next talks about how it's all going what do we want to change right what's working what's not working so that this next talk is not awkward or yeah. it's less awkward because if you jump into this and you want you you'll promise to yourselves okay we're going to do this business it's going to be so successful and amazing and you know we have those great ideas and like we marry each other right away yeah then like talking about this after two or three months you know what but maybe not really yeah, it's harder yeah. yeah exactly so that's why you have to be really realistic and then just set like small goals and and kind of like be flexible and then don't say something that you cannot deliver. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Earlier on, you mentioned that you started with a little different uh, business model than right now. Yeah. Uh, something that was connected with like renting your jewelry or maybe trying it on. How did it work in practice and why did you think that this was not the best um, choice? Yeah, so... The reason why I wanted to do free home, free home try-on service is first, I was really confident that oh, dear mistake items are good, are really good and good quality. So when people see it, they will buy it. I was confident about that. And second part, because jewelry pieces they are like so tiny and then not and then like easy to ship, mm-hmm. I thought that oh, our cost is not that heavy if we even though we offer free shipping both ways, right? But eventually, uh, I had to kill it because it was it was good when you have small number of customers. Mm-hmm. But when we are growing fast, it was really hard to maintain because it took a lot of our time and energy. So you were letting them keep this for free for for a couple of days for like a week. Yeah, and then they would return if they wanted or keep it, and they already. You already had their credit card, so you would charge them, right? Yeah, yeah. So th- th- you will make a decision whether you want to keep it or not. If you don't like it, you have to return it like within certain certain days, mm-hmm. and then we see what you returned and what you kept, and we charge you. So of course you had so many clients. <laughs> I can't, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. But can you imagine how many parties they went uh, during that week? Oh, so. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. So I was really worried that people will like take advantage of this mm-hmm. service and wear it at the parties and return it next day. So I put a really like big like plastic tag that you cannot um, detach it unless you cut the tag. So that part I think we were we were safe. Yeah. Mm. Christy, um, what are your plans for Dear Miss J in the near future? Do you wanna be present in more retail stores or? just scaling your website, um, how do you see it? 
I want to do both, of course. Mm -hmm. But first of all, I want to sell at um, bigger retailers. So now we are mainly sell at like boutique um, designer stores mm -hmm. or jewelry stores. But not, but next step, I want to work with like large retailers like Macy's or Nordstrom mm -hmm. to see if they want to carry their mystery pieces. Yeah, I could see that happening. Mm -hmm. You know, they would really look great over there on a the display. Mm -hmm. For sure. Christy, it, it was so great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. And for those of our viewers and listeners who want to check out the jewelry and see uh, what you're producing, where should they go? Oh, so they can check out our Instagram, um, shopdearmistry, shop mm -hmm. or they can check our website, dearmistry.com. Christy, thank you so much for joining me yeah, today on the thanks. show. Yeah, thanks.